0: God has graciously revealed to us everything we need to know about life and godliness 2 Peter 1 verse 2 Second Timothy 3 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work We have a comprehensive revelation from God about all of life. But what we do not know cannot impact us. We study about prayer, we study about the nature of God and salvation and the work of Christ on the cross and the work of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to know what the Bible teaches about giving. And you say, well, what does the Bible teach about giving? There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible relating to this vital area of our lives. And if we are not acquainted with biblical teaching about giving, we end up mimicking the world. We derive our understanding and the use of wealth from our fallen culture. And that's not good. I want us all to have the mind of Christ about everything. I want us to be on guard against secular teaching in this area. I want us to be free from financial stress and the tremendous burden of debt from unwise financial choices. I want us to enter into the incredible joy of giving lavishly to the Lord. So you can see I have a 23-point sermon as opposed to a three-point sermon. That ought to scare you. I actually had a whole lot more points so I had to edit it down. Be thankful for small mercies. So let's quickly work our way through this because this will give us, this just scratches the surface. It really does. Uh, These... This teaching has had a profound impact upon our life, Carol and I, in terms of our giving, and I hope it does on yours. And we looked at a couple of these things last Sunday. God is owner of everything. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. The world is mine and all it contains. Everything we are and have, all our abilities, all our skills, all our possession... All of our income is to be brought under the sovereign authority of God and used for his glory. First Chronicles 29, 11, and 12, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, indeed everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. Haggai 2.8, the Lord, or the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Many more verses like this. Everything we have, every cent of our income, belongs to God and to be used for his glory. Secondly, God is the provider of every good thing in life. James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. If you were to count your blessings as the Old hymn says, and name them one by one, how long would your list be? What are you thankful for? All that comes from God. He is the source, the provider. Having said that, I want to repeat something, which I think I've said many, many times over the years here. Nowhere does the Bible teach or endorse the prosperity gospel. Brian Cluth, a Christian expert in finances, says, God is more interested in our needs than in our greeds. Thirdly, acknowledge the grace of God to you in Christ and respond to that grace with gratitude, joy, and humble obedience. We looked at a couple of these verses last week. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake, for your sake, he became poor, so that through you, through his poverty, might become rich. Regardless of our incomes, we are incredibly rich as children of God. Rich in grace rich in spiritual blessings, rich in the mercy of God. We possess a wealth that money can't buy and circumstances cannot take away. I want you to ponder that because it will free you from the pursuit of wealth and free you from complaining about your income and what you don't have. Fourthly, our responsibility is to be diligent manager or steward of 100% of what God has entrusted to us during our lifetimes. The parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, 14 through 30, by the way, a talent was 15 years of wages. The master gave one person five talents according to his ability, two talents according to his ability, and then one talent. And for the ones who received the five and the two and did well, the master was well-pleased and said, enter into the joy of your master. The one who was given one buried it, didn't do anything with it, and the master was very, un- very unhappy. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. We are stewards. Not one penny you and I earn is ours, not one. We manage. God owns. It's God's, not ours. And he has laid down principles and guidelines for the use of our time, our talents, and our treasures. I think we can apply Proverbs 3, verses 4 to 7 to our finances. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, or I would add, do not lean on the message the world gives to you. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. The Lord watches our giving. There's only one person in the Wataska Mission Church who knows how much you all give. The financial secretary whose job it is to keep a, a running toll throughout the year of your giving and gives you that receipt at the end of the year. That's the only person In this church, who knows how much you give? I don't know. The elders don't know. We don't ask. You might say, whew, that's a relief. Well, just a minute. Someone much more important than the elders or myself or Dan knows how much you give, Jesus. Would it make a difference in our giving habits if we kept reminding ourselves of this fact? Jesus knows how much I make. Jesus knows how much I spend and how I spend it. Jesus knows how much I give. He observes everything associated with the wealth that I have. Everything. Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 41. This is the story, the true story of the widow's mite. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how People were putting money into the treasury. So, Jesus is watching. When the offering is taken, Jesus is watching. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Well, Jesus must have been happy just a minute. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounts to about a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, "Trust Truly I say to you, this poor widow Put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. It is not the amount of the gift which impresses Jesus, but the amount of the sacrifice A large amount given out of our surplus does not please God. So here's the question you and I need to ask ourselves. Are we giving out of the surplus of our incomes, out of what we can easily afford, out of after we've spent money and everything else, then we give the 50 bucks a month or 100, whatever it is, to the Lord, rather than give to him right off the top of our income. Jesus sees what we give. Sixty, don't become proud about anything God has entrusted to you. There are various levels of income and various levels of lifestyle in our community, in our church. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Why do we sometimes say, I can afford this, I made this money, I can purchase this, I can have this lifestyle? But we receive that capacity from God. Psalm 62.10, If riches increase, Do not set your heart on them. Do not think, I am secure. I have nothing to worry about. I'm set for life. Nor think that because of the house we live in, the vehicles we possess, the vacations we take, the lifestyle we enjoy, that somehow that sets us up above others. It does not turn back in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. and There's a warning here that Moses gave to the children of Israel as they're about to settle in the promised land. And we need to look at this because I suppose in Canada, Alberta is the promised land. So Deuteronomy chapter 8. The warning is that Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances. Otherwise, verse 12 of 8, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good homes to live in, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, in other words, when you're financially prosperous, then your heart will become proud You will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Down verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you the power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore with your fathers as it is today. You know what? We are all rich. If you made more than $1500 in 2009, which I suspect most of us did, even preachers, you're in the top 25% of wage earners in the world. If you made between 20 and 30,000 last year, with, which most of us did, we're in the top 5% of wage earners in the world. If we have one vehicle, we're in the top 6% of the world's wealthiest people. If we have a house bigger than 8 feet by 10 feet, we are wealthy people because most people in the world live in a, in a, in a residence of that size. Uh, our garages are bigger than that and sometimes we have no room to put our vehicles the garage because we have to have garage sales to get rid of the stuff to park our vehicles. Seventhly, even the poor are to give to God from what they have. That's true of the widow. We saw this in the portion we just read. We saw last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and these verses describe people who were generous. In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, their deep poverty, overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So apparently, Living in, on meager means is not an excuse for not giving to the Lord. Eighth, don't trust in your riches; trust in God. First Timothy 6:17 and 18 instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, and ready to share storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Brian Cluth, a financial uh, advisor in the Christian circles, knew a man who had uh, MCI uh, WorldCom stock worth $600,000. In three days, it went to $183. Don't trust in wealth. The psalmist speaks of those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. We have an example of the wealthy farmer, and yes, farmers, there are some wealthy farmers. <laughs> the Bible speaks of the man who tore down his barns to, to build bigger, and by the way, it's not wrong to be wealthy as a farmer or any other way you have an occupation and make your money, it's not wealth itself is not wrong. It is, it is not evil. What is evil is the attitude of this man. Luke chapter 12, verse 9. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. To come, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus' assessment of this man is, You fool. And then verse 21 of Luke 12, so is the man who stores up treasures for himself. So if we accumulate treasures for ourselves without regard to God, and I suppose Jesus would call us fools, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Understand that riches can deceive you. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. And again, you can tell we are jumping all over the scriptures this morning. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. The church of Laodicea, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That's their assessment. That's what they're thinking. Look what I have. Look what I possess. Look at my lifestyle. Jesus' assessment is... You do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Wealth can deceive us. Wealth can deceive us thinking that all is well. But it might might not be well in the most important area, and that is in our relationship to God and our growth in Christ. We have the parable of the soils in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Uh, different kinds of soil. The seed, the word of God, falls on different kinds of soils beside the road and Satan snatched it away. It's sown in rocky places and the word is received with joy and persecution comes and people fall away. But when it comes to the deceitfulness of wealth, some was sown among thorns and the worries of the world, now listen to this, because this may be defined, some people here, a lot of people in our culture, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. It becomes unfruitful. Wealth can choke out the word. Wealth can keep us away from worship. Wealth can make us preoccupied with enjoying what we've been able to purchase. Proverbs 23, 4, and 5, Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealthy wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle. Isn't that the truth? That flies toward the heavens. Money talks. It says, Goodbye. Adios, hasta la vista, and so long. Think of all the money you've made in your life until now. It'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Where is it? Focus on being content with daily provisions. Seek simplicity, not extravagance. Another way to put this is humbly adjust your lifestyle to live below your income. Our culture says, if you have it, spend it. If you have more, if you make more, spend that. Let me give you some wisdom here. Establish a budget and live below that level. Develop sales resistance. Navigate away from financial temptation. What is your Achilles heel when it comes to to spending money. Clothes, vacations, vehicles, RVs, eating out. It's a long list. Some things that we long for and gaze upon are financial landmines. They are budget busters. Here's the question. Is the master or MasterCard ruling your life? The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12, that he's... Content in whatever state he is in. If he has enough, he's content. If he doesn't have enough, he's still content. 1 Timothy 6, 6 68. Godliness is the means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, wouldn't that be wonderful? If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. What a beautiful combination. Godliness and contentment. Pursue godliness, not wealth, and you'll be content. Contentment protects us from careless spending. The next purchase, the house, the car, the vacation, whatever it is, will not add to our contentment. It will not bring us the deep satisfaction we are longing for. And the burden of debt, if we keep spending, just increases our discontent and pressures on us. Number 11, you you cannot serve God and money. Learn to serve God with your money. Money has a seductive power of taking our focus off of God and drawing us away from him into the values of our culture. Church leaders, elders and deacons, are said said, uh, one of the guidelines is to be free from the love of money. Do not be fond of sordid gain, or as the old King James of filthy lucre. (laughs) I like that. Filthy lucre. Man, that's strong language. Billy Graham says a checkbook is a theological document. It will tell who and what you worship. Money can assume a godlike status in our lives if we're not careful. Number 12, halfway there. There are generous there are dangerous consequences if we live for pleasure. Money, more than any other factor, has destroyed lives. Proverbs 21:17 He who loves pleasure will become a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not become rich. So many people use their money for pleasure, but it's short-term pleasure and long-term pain. Ecclesiastes, written by a very wealthy man, a king who could have whatever he wants. Listen to these words. All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor and this was my reward for all my labor. Then I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. Is he happy? Is he fulfilled? Is he satisfied? And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind and there was no profit under the sun. In Second Timothy 3, verse 1, uh, one to five, we're told that in the last times there'll be people who'll be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. So what is on your want list? If it is composed primarily of material things, I suggest it needs some major revisions. Thirteen, don't live for this life but for your heavenly home. Randy Alcorn, who's written much on giving, says, Are you living for the dot? or are you living for the line? The dot represents the brevity of earthly life. The line represents the ages of eternity. So many people in our culture live for the dot, don't even consider the line. They are preoccupied with the earthly, not the heavenly, with the material, not the spiritual. Their purpose is the pursuit of prosperity and pleasure. That's the mindset of our culture. It permeates the world system in which we live. Listen to these familiar words from our Lord. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross and follow me, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, if he lives for the dot and not for the line? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Fourteen, the desire for more can be spiritually destructive and devastating. First Timothy 6, 9 through 11. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and the snare of many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men, in, plunge men into ruin and destruction. These are scary words. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many griefs, but flee from these things and pursue. What? Not money. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Hebrews 13, 5, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Trust in God, not wealth. There's infinitely more security in God than in our bank accounts. Do not define your importance or life in general by what you possess. Luke 12, verse 15, Beware be on guard against every form of greed, for even when one has an abundance abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. In our culture, sadly, people equate their value or worth as a human being with the stuff they have, with the money that they can buy things with. But our house, our vehicle, whatever we drive, wherever we go on vacations has nothing to do with our value as a human being. Totally nothing. Avoid the comparison game. Don't be envious. Don't be envious of what other people have or their lifestyles. Guard yourself against excessive debt. Debt itself is not inherently wrong as long as you pay what you owe without robbing God of the tithe And without bringing undue stress upon yourself. However, some people live in perpetual debt. They buy something, pay it off, buy something else, pay it off, buy something else. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor. The borrower is the servant of the lender. The borrower becomes a lender's slave. Isn't that the truth? Well, you say, I hear you, Pastor. I think I even agree with you, but to tell you the truth right now, I'm in deep financial waters. What do I do? Let me suggest six things. Start giving a tithe, at least, to the Lord. Start there. Secondly, start taking the countless exhortations of Scripture seriously. Make sure that your understanding in this area is is defined by the word, not by the world. Stop using or misusing credit cards. Take the scissors to them if you have to. Make some significant, even drastic changes in your lifestyle and spending habits. You may have to sell off assets to get out of debt. Do it. Simplify your lifestyle. Get help from a trusted financial um, person and acknowledge And maybe we don't believe this or want to hear it. The real problem is not that we earn too little. We spend too much. Romans 13, 7. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Fear to whom fear is due. Honor to whom honor. Paul is cutting a wide swath here. He is speaking about more than money. But then he says in verse 8, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. I don't think he's arguing against all debt. Debt was, you find it in the Old Testament. But what he's saying here is that the debt of love can never be paid off. The obligation to love never ends. Other obligations we can pay off, but not the debt of love. Give in proportion to how God has blessed you. First Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collection is made when I come. Now, the next statement I really don't want to make, but I have to, to be honest. There's no explicit command to tithe in the New Testament. However, now don't go, whew, just a minute. By the way, Abraham gave to Melchizedek, tied to Melchizedek, priest of the Most High God, long before the law of Moses. Jacob tied long before the law of Moses. But I hardly imagine that God is pleased if we give less under grace than the Old Testament saints gave under law. By the way, the tithe in the Old Testament came to about 23%. Don't forget the principle of a proportional giving in proportion to what you have made and sacrificial giving, as is indicated by the Macedonians. My own assessment is this, at least Caroline found it, that 10% plus for us is not a sacrifice at all. And I might add that if someone makes thirty thousand a year and gives ten percent, that's much more of a sacrifice than someone making eighty, a hundred thousand a year and giving ten percent. You will have less financial pressure, fewer financial problems if you tithe than if you do not tithe. How so? Because being content with what you have will eliminate unnecessary expenditures and greatly decrease your likelihood of going into debt. Secondly, because following biblical principles relating to wealth indicates that you put your financial house in order. And we do this when we raise our giving to the top of the list, not number 12 on the list. And the spirit of contentment and gratitude frees up vast amount of money for kingdom purposes. Well, you say, I can't afford to tithe. I'll say this as gently as possible. You cannot afford not to tithe. It boils down to conviction and commitment to desire and discipline, to surrender and obedience Give careful thought to your financial practices. In Haggai 1, verse 4 and 5, it's time for you yourselves to dwell in your... Is a time for you yourself to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies desolate, referring to the temple. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Financially, consider your ways. When was the last time you took a close look at your attitude about wealth and finances and your practices have you put that practice what you do in life to the biblical test proverbs 27 23 and 24 know well the condition of your flocks referring to farmers of course and pay attention to your herds for riches are not forever nor does a crown endure to all generations in other words Know where you're at financially. Don't hide your head in the sand about this. Do a thorough assessment. How much are you making? Where is it going? How does God and his kingdom and biblical teaching fit into your financial habits? How much are you spending on yourself? How much are you giving away? Consider your ways. Nineteen. God blesses you financially so that you can be a blessing to others. Randy Alcorn says in The Treasure Principle, God blesses us financially not so we can increase our standard of living, so that we can increase our level of giving. And again, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And the context is giving money. Your giving, number twenty, your giving, will be a great help and encouragement to others. There's a there's a fantastic uh, number of verses in Second Corinthians chapter nine. Now, remember, Paul is writing to the Corinthians to remind them of the promise they made a year earlier to give to the Jerusalem Church. They had not come through with that giving. We see this in Second Corinthians chapter eight, and now he is really. Uh, exhorting them, come through with that gift that you promised. The saints in Jerusalem need it. Keep your word; they are counting on you. So, Second Corinthians chapter 11 you, referring to the church in Corinth, you will be enriched in every way for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. You give; we take the message, or we take the money to the Jerusalem church that's in dire straits. And they thank God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, but also overflowing through many thanksgiving to God. As we give, people are encouraged. Our missionaries are encouraged. The needy are encouraged. Because of the proof given by this ministry, the ministry of giving, they will glorify God for your obedience. See the connection? They glorify God because you obeyed. Obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, so they pray for the church at Corinth, yearn for you. This is a bond coming about here, this is love growing yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Our giving will greatly help and encourage other people. Living for kingdom purposes frees us from anxiety with respect to material things. We see this in Matthew's Gospel many places, but certainly in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, where we are told not to be anxious, not to be filled with anxiety, concerning the things that the Gentiles, referring to unbelievers, are worried about, food and clothing and so on. He says in verse 32, Jesus says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things. That's why they're so filled with anxiety and care, because they're seeking all these things. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You will have enough to live on. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself let me ask you this how often do you find yourself preoccupied with money and material things and earning money and paying off your debt and you're filled with anxiety and stress over these areas this is not the way a Christian ought to live following biblical principles will free you from all that it's a wonderful freedom two more to go you didn't think I could do it did you Do not involve yourself in get-rich schemes. Never gamble, do not become involved in financial dishonesty or deceit or in unwise investments. Never take advantage of anyone for monetary gain. If you borrow, pay the lender back as promptly as possible. When Christians don't pay their debts, the church, the name of the church suffers, the name of Christ suffers. Proverbs 10, verse 2, ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 21, 5, and 6, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor, the pursuit of death. And finally, I did it. Finally, your pursuit of God and a generous life of giving will give you a richer, fuller life than all the money in the world. Generosity does not diminish joy. It increases joy. Whenever you obey the commands of God in any area, you are blessed by God. If you want the abundant life, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And that abundant life does not refer so much to money and stuff, but to forgiveness and to love and to peace and to joy and to hope. And that's found only in Jesus Christ. Life is not to be defined by material prosperity but by spiritual maturity. The abundant life is a life of wisdom. It's a life of wisdom in finances, and relationships, and that wisdom comes from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I close then with two quotes because we, we need to understand what is the grand purpose of our being alive? Why were we born? And not to have a great lifestyle. Not at all. Romans 11, 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. We exist to glorify God. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all for the glory of God. Whatever that income is, 100% is God's. It all comes from God's grace. And use it all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us wisdom about finances. And this is just a very small portion of what the Bible says. And help us, God, to take it to heart. Help us, God, not to get defensive about this or not examine ourselves. We are to consider our ways. May we understand, God, that we are a blessed people in this part of the world, especially in Alberta. Even financially, we are blessed way beyond what we need. Deliver us from trusting wealth and from selfishness. Make us generous people in our giving. And if we are generous, we will be content and we'll be joyful. And your name will be glorified. In Christ's name, amen.